Unsee the future. The Hopi Chatty Bits. Welcome and hello. Hello to, welcome and hello to, it's fine. Unsee the future, the Hopi Chatty Bits with me, Timo Peach, in which I meet artists, solar punks and change makers reimagining the stories we think we're in. And you're in for a treat this week. Every week I bring together people who are helping me think differently about the narrative structure in our brains, the way we try to make sense of stuff and what purpose art can even freaking have in times of crisis. My guest today is a thinker and player of games. Uh, she is a strategist, cultural historian, social engineer, and a meta-modernist, pushing for more radical and imaginative visions to tackle wicked problems, she says. Founder of Holy Hand Grenades and co-host of The Art Beat, she explores playful connections, perspectives, games, and art, making the world more soulfully human, shaping next today's better. She's a speaker, a LARPer, a comedian, a lecturer at Kingston College of Art. Uh, she's Religions and Faith Groups Coordinator at Extinction Rebellion. And she says the arts tell us that what we should be building is community and richness. Lots of artists, she said to me, went to war. And I can't see any of them telling you, yeah, go on, boy. She says, take the feeling and sublimate it. Marinating in it is simply unfulfilled creativity. Find the tools to do something with that feeling. She is the one and only, my great honour to have here, Rina Atienza. Hi. <laughs> great pick. I, you know, wind swept to the left. It's good, yes, we'll do that. Hey, mate, thanks for joining me. Uh, welcome. Well, it is 9am in LA. It's midday noon in New York. It's five o'clock tea time in Bournemouth. Where in the world are you, Rena? I am in London, also known as the Big Smoke. It is, isn't it? Uh, you're on a particularly groovy part of London, I think, although an awful lot of London seems quite creative. Where are you? I'm in a meeting booth in a building called Here East, which is the former um, media centre during the Olympics 10 years ago, the London yes, Olympics. it is. Like, oh, it in, yeah. in Hackney Wick, in a place that is doing that thing that gentrification does at the beginning, where it's great, where artists move in and make things that are quite poor and run down and forgotten about a lot more interesting, right before the developers then go, oh, thanks very much. Yes, definitely in that um, liminal spaces of old Hackneywick, new Hackneywick, the gentrified bits, and um, the roiling, ongoing battle for, for the soul of, of the area, right? Like, what is culture? What is community? What is, um, you know, living in a nice place where you don't necessarily encounter troubles as such? Mm. So um, there's a local paper around called The Wick, um, that, hold that thought. Hang on. Ooh, oh, you have a copy. <laughs> All right. How Look you at that. And um, I do like the tagline, you know, keeping the creative flame alight. It's great. I'm not in Hackney Wick, but we had a, uh, a legendary bender of a creative weekend in London a few weeks ago because we are indeed mates. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was a great bringing together of worlds, which is what you do, I would observe. Uh, you are a connector of people and ideas. What do you make of that? 
Ah, I think it's a, you know, I've had to claim that. And when I was growing up, I was just interested in many things because when you're in uh, education and my primary school education is in the Philippines, but my secondary education is in uh, London because I moved to the UK. And it's quite strange how you're exposed to all these subjects, art, English, science, um, history, mathematics. And so you, you know, you're kind of looking at all these different subjects and then um, at some point you're told to curtail that and just like focus on one or maybe three, you know, like the whole specialization. Yeah. And I just didn't really feel inclined to just choose. I mean, I, I did, you know, I have like a core interests like art, English and history, fantastic subjects, but I've always loved adding to that, um, mm. yeah, to that uh, selection. So um you're called generalists now, fancy terms for it previously. You know, one would like to be a polymath and Renaissance person, but it's just curiosity, right? It's just um, yes. curious because life, you know, there's lots of uh, life to, to live and to lead. And um, I know I just follow what falls in on my pathways. And I've been fortunate enough to that it's varied. So I think it's just that it's just... Uh, other metaphors mean like, you know, being a, a little bee kind of cross pollinating and going from one flower to the next, checking out all the different pollen and making something out of that. You are, you are a bee, aren't you? In that sense, the cross pollination is a phrase you use quite a lot. And, uh, you know, you're saying a generalist, that's such a boring word for somebody, who, <laughs> for somebody who doesn't fit in. And there are increasing numbers of us who identify as just not fit in the boxes because A, does anyone? B, some of us are wired to be more about making connections than specialising, right? So you're a, you know, you're a connector in that sense, and it led you into art history, which I find fascinating. I, I think that's probably a, a neat version of it. The connector is um, comes from, one, I'm, I'm born in a big family. I'm one of mm. six siblings. My father's one of 11 siblings. I'm always one of nine. So... You are born into a network, so you yeah. need to you need to um, map out the relational ties and your place within a, a wider um, I can identity set, I guess. Yeah. And um, so that's the childhood bit. Now, how I ended up being in art history was probably more of an accident. Um, I was meant to study history at um, university, but I didn't get the required grades. Shock horror uh, to my 17, 18 year old self at the time. And um, University of Warwick called me uh, because it was my second choice university and offered art history instead. And uh, so I remember this, you know, it really was like art history. Uh, um, what, what's that? Yeah, what even is that? Uh, I mean, obviously it's straightforward art history or the history of arts. Um, I think I was just set on studying history yeah. as, as a career path. And, you know, sometimes it's about the no plan plan happens, mm. plan B, plan C. And um, I said yes, because part of the kicker or the incentive was that you get to live in Venice as part of that. I mean, I mean when, you, when you're 18, that's that's what your life turns on, is it? Little details like that in curricula. Going, oh, by the way, also, second year, Venice. Yeah. And, um, and so I went. And um, the beautiful surprise of field trips and being exposed to visual culture in its many forms from castles to paintings to brick walls honestly brick walls yeah 
uh, and um, and yeah, all sorts of museums and cultural buildings of sorts. Now, in, that's interesting that you're, you know, growing up in quite an academic culture, setting your heart on the correct thing to do. Right, and yeah. that one little academic wonk from history to art history, I observe has changed your life. How did it change your outlook as you didn't just swan around Venice, but what came into you as you were learning? Yeah. I love it. Academic wonk. Uh, great. Like, um, uh, how I think I've always loved stories and story. So history is that history, hmm. storytelling about who we are, who, you know, what identities and communities we belong to and what roles we play. And if I'd studied history, um, I would have looked at a lot of texts, right? Books mm. about the written uh, accounts of what happened before, how how um, other uh, historians interpret what happened in the past and making sense of the past in order to define uh, explanations of, you know, why things are the way they are now and, and maybe some lessons for the future. And I think the art history one just made you look instead at um, well, the very visible and visual aspects of culture, of history. Yeah. So I think it's starting from, not from the text, but I guess physical context of, yeah. oh yeah, we're, we're in it. So it's not, yeah. so, and you know, of course, text and history books, textbooks are still part of that. But yeah. it's really making you look with your own eyes um, and putting you, like immersing you in, oh, here here we are in the museum and here's this painting. Uh, so I think there's something important about the, the visual aspect of, of stories. So it's that, not well, just oral yeah. or talk, but seeing it. Yes, and linked inextricably, you're saying there, to embodiment, that you have to travel to places. And especially if it's a fresco, it's essentially part of the historic building, not just hung in any old gallery. Yes, and sculptures and, yeah. uh, you know, gardens as well. Uh, and uh, it, in that sense, when we're talking about different worlds, you are exposed to this time travel, right? Mm. You are in present day, so whether that was 2001 when I was studying or even say if I, if I visit the same site now, you have the timey-wimeyness of I am here now. I'm looking at this thing that was built then. Yeah, it is still relevant now, and it has been um, seen or interpreted or functions in so many ways throughout time. So you're exposed to many worlds, not just your current reality, but the realities of then and how time is ongoing and how really society uh, changes and doesn't change. So. Um, it reveals cultural, uh, yeah, texture. Cultural texture. You're exposed to many worlds. That's what I found. If I have a fantasy of going back to college, it's to do art history, which will do nothing to allay my... No, we, we did get mocked that it wasn't a serious subject, you know, that it's not like, ooh, you know, maybe psychology or mm. um, accounting or business studies, the, the kind of job, the kind of... Uh, subjects that get you supposedly, um, you know, uh, well, well, well-paid jobs or yeah. Uh, I'm not making a good plan for my retirement by thinking such things. I know, I know that, but I've just found I've wanted to know more. And you've you've often said to me how that 
visual history, but what it implies of the political, cultural history really helps you see the story of history in a much more rich way. It's not just reading it on a Kindle, what you've been told to read. That talks about different stories of history and how it's told, doesn't it? Or makes it helps you realise yeah. that quicker. It's really strange that it was, you know, not that it was maligned, but, you know, my uh, fellow uh, students definitely did mock me that uh, for my exam, I was just looking at slides and looking at pictures <laughs> and writing about them. Uh, well, just looking at pictures, are you? Chemical engineering formulas. But, um, <laughs> and yet, we spend so much money, like millions, investing in like, ooh, travel, right? Ooh, mm -hmm. we need to, I must go to Paris and go to the Arc de Triomphe and I must go to Rome and see the yeah. Colosseum. That there's these um, bucket lists based on mm -hmm. seeing things because somehow by being there and seeing them adds, like it's worth your time and there is value in it. Yeah. And then there's so tourism and then the, the commerce around tourism, such as, oh, here's some postcards or um, whilst you're uh, kind of touring, why don't you have a nice croissant here for the view? So, so much of commerce is based on culture and this notion of civilization is proving that there's stuff to, to be evidence of how civilized you are and how you've uh, um, progressed through the ages and, and, I don't know, got better somehow intellectually, politically, yeah. um, et cetera. And, you know, you talk about being a Renaissance person. We'd all like to be as consummate at many different things as that Im implies. But as you say, it's really curiosity. And and a lot of the Renaissance figures who were mostly male in the story we receive, uh, they like to surround themselves, especially in the most painterly years. They love to be painted, surrounded by the artefacts of their intellect, right? You must have stared at hundreds of pictures like that. Um, I went to, was it like some uh, museum uh, uh, exhibition the other day? And um, and it's really when I, again, it's like uh, someone referred to then as some sort of like, oh, that the Instagram of, of then. And it's quite, it kind of makes make, make, make me um, cringe a little bit because that, that we're referring to the past based on what we have now. But I guess it makes sense for framing. Um, yeah. You know, in the way that um, I think the, the, the most recent example of this famous people wanting to be seen in culture and say that you've made it is um, the very famous campaign that included Beyonce and Jay-Z at um, the Louvre. Yes. I don't know if you see that, right? That here we are dressed in um, fashionable suits with the Mona Lisa behind us or, you know, posing inside of the Louvre. And we do that with photography and that appears in magazines and Instagram and social media feeds. And because we didn't have that technology then, they had to be um, altarpieces and tabernacles and murals mm. and, yeah, frescoes of um, kind of being embedded within the um, stories of power and yeah. um, prestige yes. that was contemporary whenever that was. That could have been 1300 or 1500 throughout the times. They're key signals, aren't they? Yes, I want to be seen as important and relevant for my time. You talk about reframing there, and that's that's another way of saying, you know, n new stories of us. That's the purpose of this podcast, and I'm always banging on about it. We need new ways of looking forward. How would you start to say to your students, how do you approach the idea of changing the way they see, new ways of seeing or new stories? What's your way into that kind of thinking? Uh, <laughs> where do you start? I know where do I start? The baseline is having a playful approach. So mm. there's this sense that 
we are expected to see the world based on how we're told we should see it. So there, there is a, you know, educational programming. There is a curriculum. And, and we are that. We are programmed creatures, culturally programmed, educationally uh, instructed to think a certain way because we need to pass an exam and to get the certain grades and to have the right answers. When the first years enter my class, uh, the invitation is not to have one right answer or the expectation that there is a master answer, master narrative, but to have many questions. And in that way, like a child, if you know, I have a three-year-old nephew who's always asking, you know, that, that uh, perennial question of, uh, but why, 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 how, why, and all the what, why, how, where, when. And uh, that, in, yeah, that is curiosity of asking for wider context or information or just descriptions so that the story is more, um, well, not just more relevant, but that it resonates with the listener, yeah, with, with the one who's inquiring about um, their story. I think you said this before. Um, I, no, no, yeah, I did mention it, that we can only, I mean, there's this thing that I read, um, you can share it on the notes, but in order for us to understand our story, because we're, you know, when we're born, you're given a story, your name is, etc. Our story is um, embedded with other stories around us, the story of your parents, the story of your family, just the story of the people and places around. And for us to reframe the stories we have for, I don't know, the, the unknown future, I guess it depends on how do we collect other stories and, and make sense of that. And I think mm. that's why we're a little bit overwhelmed because we've never been a networked species before. Yeah. So there's just a lot of um, connections, quite literally and um, symbolically with all the different channels or um, algorithms of being connected to the news feeds of 1,000 people, yes. however many friends you have, or, or a million if you have those, those followers. And um, and that is changing us. So it's it's never, we've never had to be that kind of humanness before. So we are figuring it out and we're changing and evolving. Um, to what? Well, well, we'll find out. But. I mean, you're, everyone's in intersection, right? But we're seeing more more of those intersections and and arguably making them more uh, you've got this lovely image of the idea of, of you know that that offhand comment from doctor who about timey-wimey it's all a bit blurry timey-wimey i mean that phrase just seems to so relevant to complexity and the way we're trying to make sense of where we fit in this three-dimensional non-linear sort of truer experience is it a true experience than than we've had in previous generations i don't know there's another quote that I always like referring to. It's by this um, cultural historian named Clifford Geertz. And he talks about having thick description of, um, you know, he's a, he's a cultural anthropologist. So right. studies through observation, humans in situ, like in the village or, you know, um, in their native setting. And um, they, they say that, you know, we, we are meaning-making machines and, and our stories. We weave meaning into our existence and through stories. Um, and uh, I know that, you know, we call it World Wide Web and the Internet's about being connected. It does help to have an understanding of different metaphors, too, so that we can 
grasp at the many types of stories. Because um, it's not just a human story. Of uh, it, It's also um, stories of, you know, how insects are or how plants are. There's just these, yeah, it's like a weaving, not just uh, of, yeah, a weaving of different threads. Yes, a weaving of different threads and, and allowing that in uh through curiosity now you are all you're not just a a a teacher you're i think of you as quite an artistic activist that's a brittle small word in a way but you're very agent you get involved and you are the founder of of course holy hand grenades what what is a holy hand grenade and just really strange to consider myself a founder i've started it for sure i started this idea called holy hand grenades um and i was oh yes this is like the the first image that was conjured of what that might represent um and as for the name there is a hand it is holy because it's in a mudra so the hand gesture is a, a benediction sign yes and i noticed then, that yeah and there is a grenade um but you think hey because obviously you can see the uh pin there but it's obviously not a metallic um, uh, object entirely. It's entirely. It's a, a bit. It's a fruit. It's a pomegranate with seeds. And the reason for this was I was just experimenting with this, just like names for how can you be provocative but without being destructive? How can your mm-hmm. provocation invite contribution? And so we were just joshing around with some mates, and one of my friends uh, realized, hey. Um, you know, you remember the um, Monty Python sketch with um, Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch, yes. and I thought, yeah, that could work because it's because it's quite like you know uh, something that's within your digits. So these fingers or these digits like numbers that you can uh, extend or throw out there. You know, people say like, oh, I've got a truth bomb to to, to share. Yes. You know, or just throwing it out there. You know, thought. <laughs> you know, like oh, just like. Yeah, so the idea of like exploding a truth bomb and a thought grenade, but that those thoughts aren't harmful where possible, but that they would be more generative, more creative, more fruitful rather than mm. fruitless debates. And so I was playing around with, with that notion and, and holding hand grenades when I kind of dwelled in it as well, remembering that the grenade, the, the weaponized um, object that can maim you, is a modeled after the fruit grenada pomegranate so i thought oh that's really weird did someone just look at the pomegranate and think hey you know like what kind of mind creates weapons and 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 it just <laughs> what we sense. could do what we could do with this right this symbol of fertility and feminine power is make it blow up make it masculine you know make it uh yeah weaponize it and um you know because it's like a, a machine so there's just something strange to me about the context of how we have taken nature yeah and then maybe um the, the benign aspect of it has been maligned and so i wanted to reclaim the origins of that so that um when we talk about oh we're just debating here we can actually be real and say we're not you know people aren't really yeah. debating at the moment on such hell sites like the zuckerberg uh space mm-hmm. because it's not built for debates and it's no. not contextualized as, as debates. People are just actually um, triggered and fighting. And and so the, I was also, the Holy Hand Grenade came from wondering about, you know, what, what we do with these hands and how we have this phone. And it's like, 
this is what happens. Like, ah, ah, outrage. So we kind of tap. And then we're like frantically using these thumbs. And so this very notion that we're triggered. So we're always firing these off from thought to kind of the, this device. And you're just, yeah, triggered because you're loaded with these ideas and your emotions. And then I kind of was thinking that um, because in Marshall McLuhan's um, sage advice that the medium is the message, this medium, we only use these two fingers. If you see a blue around and it kind of conceals the other three. And so you're using two digits. What do we do with all these three? So you're a musician and you know that dexterity and, and something is triggered when we use all of these through. Yeah. If I could panel. properly, if I could use them all properly. Yeah. In theory, you're right. Hands. Jazz hands. <laughs> um, twinkly fingers. And then these are digits and yeah. we're operating in a space, uh, a hyperspace called um, the digital space of ones and zeros. And we're using these fingers, but also I, I practice yoga and I, and I know from esoteric studies that fingers also have symbolic meaning that um, there's, you know, mudras. So the whole kind of holy, sacred um, symbols um, that you yeah. do you know, with do with your hands, prayers. And um, that there's also attributions of whether a, um, a finger is Saturn and Jupiter, and, you know. So I thought to myself that maybe we are responsible for some of this discord that happens online because we're constantly firing off um yeah weapon you know just or mind yes. mindless maybe mindful um just some kind of thoughts you know, we're triggered and then also i don't know like we're kind of not really using these other three and what that could mean there's the, you know there's there's lots of there's lots of symbolism in it. Symbolism with with fingers the idea that when you're pointing at someone you're actually pointing at you first like three yeah to you so I, I explored uh, all of this like writing and symbology of fingers and then um that's why the i thought the the icon of reclaiming a piece like a social object that you can throw out there but throwing it with better intentions yes of, and, and hence you know the the pomegranate that has thousands of seeds and it has sacred connotations in different types of faiths and beliefs and it shows up in in you know it's a theme that actually does show up in art in in paintings from centuries back there's uh i'm looking at a a painting here of um christ infant being held by mary uh, surrounded by child by by very obviously sort of 1600s courtiers not really dressed (laughs) biblically Uh, and he's holding a pomegranate if if for those watching if i zoom in there he is holding the holy hand grenade well a pomegranate yes Um, so the holy fruit and there's other symbolism here of whether the um in some uh, artists or in circles it's uh the the pomegranate represents the heart and its ventricle so I was just really curious about, yeah, creating something, right, a phys- physically um, that can have virtual or digital presence, but that there's this, uh, another historian, the uh, cultural historian that I follow, Edward T. Hall, this notion of extension transfer. With our hands, we extend with a tool, and then we're able to transfer um like like wands or like pens yes. with a mobile device 
So to kind of have them intermediary objects so that we transform weapons of anger into something just, you know, a catalyst or something generative that might invite more conversations and not just one story. Like you might have start off with one story, but realize that there's many facets or 6,000 types of interpretations within that theme. So, yes. It's such a rich thinking. And it is, at its essence, Holy Hand Grenades is a, a thought emailer from you, isn't it? It's sorry. What's the it's, it's a th it's a thought starting emailer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yes. So I was gonna uh, start off with, let's create a newsletter where I'm writing about a theme that has many different slices or seeds within that theme. So it's not all inclusive or exclusive. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just like a piece that will make hopefully have lots of sequences. And um, and then from a newsletter, it, 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 it's also um, the idea of for more of a, an essay that has many essays within it. Yes. And again, it's challenging the short-term nature of our current media where everything has to be pithy and um, here's like a, you know, 140-word tweet or he's just like a, a brief post. And what you're actually beginning to find are people aren't really content with that um, uh, format. That's why you're getting all of these. Oh, here, follow this thread of one sentence that's like 20 threads or Instagram posts that are becoming pictures for really lengthy essays that's yeah. not for format. Um, or people say, or oh, here's a link to something longer. We're clearly richer, thicker storytellers, but our media has been um, capping us to kind of, you know, curtail it into bite-size um, adverts or slogans by by that you know by having all these fragments it's a tougher ask for someone to keep tabs literally when we have so many tabs to in our in our flat screen like oh my god yeah. I have to keep tabs like with lots of things how do we connect it again and so yeah so kind of in a way I was just playing around with it really yeah, I love the idea of the seed, the seed bomb that, that it is and the, the rich colour. And also pomegranates are kind of almost that holy colour of purple. They're a deep, rich sort of where blood meets purple, you know. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a lot in that thinking. And the idea of throwing out forward, thinking longer term. We are, as you say, a network species, but those connections are kind of capped I'm interested in the language you use there. You you bring together lots of different types of language from religious language that's clearly present in historic power and how that's reflected in historic pieces of art, paintings in particular, sculptures, the signals they are. But also you speak a kind of a language beyond that. You're comfortable with talking about concepts that are outside that faith and spirituality and all the richness of that language and, and symbolism. You talk a lot about casting spells. Is that something that art can do? Is that what <laughs> artists are doing? Casting spells. All right, we'll, we'll get to that. I just wanted to take your point about the seed bomb because mm. I was also inspired by just uh, what other people have done, and, and that does exist. You know, like when you're trying to pollinate weeds around, there are these, like, uh, bee bombs or bee pollen Yes. Um, that you can just throw and then the seeds will scatter and, and 
wish for some weeds to grow that the bees would like or the other insects would like. Yes. And and it was that, that, hey, hang on a minute. There's a link here between that seeds and the idea of a holy hand grenade. And holy, I think, is um, is something that should really belong to us humans, regardless of religious affiliations, that life mm. is sacred. What it ref- refers to is holiness or wholesome. Yes. And um it shouldn't just be relegated to uh, people who want to profess to having a religion or a faith. Yeah. Um, what's also really funny, though, is that no matter the protestations that you know we have reached the 21st century, thanks to modernism and postmodernism, is that we've reached the secular age, secular, rational, scientific, um, liberal, right? All of these um, very intellectual like you know we are and i i think therefore i am uh or i know and i have all this like facts and you know research and um and yet 80 percent of the planet uh are connected to a religious belief right if you look at religions of the world by far outnumber um those who might profess to be agnostic or atheistic and and we then even as an art historian, if you scan through our history, history, civilizations, theos has always been at the roots of it. And whether mm-hmm. you transfer theo, you know, um, belief in the sun god or the spirit of the trees to suddenly um, a more you know Roman versions of Zeus and Mercury um, or Apollo to then saying that it's Allah or Jesus, all these like different names, still theos. And even when you remove those, you know, religious things, people will still say, I believe in uh, Starmer. I believe in name, yeah. name, politician, politician. They'll say, yeah. they'll say, if I just vote them in, like the world will be different. So there's this sense of salvation through expectation that if you kind of raise someone to a, a certain position, will be saved, will be redeemed. They will turn the tide. Um so you know, or, or and then also we invest so much of our energy in fiction, so yeah. much of it that that it's just strange that we're not able to ride um kind of the that the two sides like you know together and think yeah there's realities you know the the physical world that we see and then there's the imagined fantasy world that it's very strange that someone would be very heavy handed about um, priests or just other religious beings and then yet be a hardcore Star Wars fan and say, yes, yes. I believe worth being a Jedi and not seeing that what it is is the energy of these characters, that there is a will, a spirit, a desire or a heart for uh, to defend those who are suffering against injustice. And we use words and stories to uh, to relate to that, so to embrace it rather than shutting ourselves off, I think, to certain parts because somehow our media and our educational system are demanding that we be manageable fit inside pigeonholes yes um, the, the modernist dream the machine part. dream yeah right exactly the Fordian of like oh you're neatly you can be neatly packaged um and and we see that everywhere really and, and not just like how we buy our foods that we are boxed in so many ways, frames, yes. upon frames, upon frames. Yeah, and and in a, in a sense, the the sort of the postmodern view of that is it's been sort of somehow exploded. There wasn't 
it looks like there was a one big cultural event, but there wasn't. But we're now living in fragments of old promises, fragments of boxes, yet we're still sort of trapped in them like the you know, Superman 2 movie where the, the uh, Zod and his others are caught in the fragments of the exploded whatever. You know, if that feels like an image of postmodernism to me and we're all still floating around trying to piece these things together, what if we rode the fiction pony and, the, <laughs> and lashed it to the faith pony and rode them into an intentional future? That's the potential power of art, isn't it? To unlock something intentional, agent? Well, um, frames of reference, window so if we're talking about fragments it's funny because I'm, I'm looking at this screen and you have um a probably a geodesic dome right with yes. all the triangles yeah and that's piece the unsee branding it is yes right? um and so it's kind of more um yeah more more kind of multi-dimensional so it's not just flat or two-sided i like that the idea of um my joke sometimes with triangles is to try angles the different angles that make up the whole. We have, you know, so there's the geometry is embedded in the arts and, and even in um, uh, studies of, uh, you know, what makes a polymath in Renaissance or there's a painting with um, about uh, Plato's Academy. And it is the yes. incorporation of all the arts. Yes. And, um, the School of Athens, is that... Um... Yeah. Raffaello, I think it's Raffaello, isn't it? Um, and then there's a saying in that, uh, um, let you know, if you don't know geometry, don't even bother hanging out here. <laughs> I'm, <not laughs> yes, yes. I'm, just gonna, I'm all for talking about arts in a non-jargon way and not really remembering it because um, this isn't rehearsed or scripted. No, it isn't. It isn't. But you talk about, you know, rehearsal scripting. There's a sense of instantly we joke about, oh, I, have, I haven't got it quite right. There's that word holiness which is wholeness in the positive sense, but also this unattainable godness that will burn us, destroy us, because we are, you know, that traditional power sense of sinful, not whole yet. Uh, and it was to use this power trips, the, the Christian iconography we've just been looking at and that we're used to. It's also symbols of power from on high, whether it's Catholic, whether it's local landowners, using spiritual language to keep control on earth, how are you and I supposed to move towards wholeness in our storytelling and not be berated by the wrong sense of holiness? That's a big question. That's a, a deep philosophical question. I'll start with unpacking what you said about power, right? The the power structures of you know from from the holy to where we are now. Yeah. Um, as someone who's gonna seen it through paintings, but also just understanding that transition or transformation from um you know village chief right to um prime minister president a lot of that is still this notion of divine right to rule yeah. you know? so we want you know the the progression to then from local leader to becoming you know king or queen they were able to do that and in, in in terms of uh, theological roots because of this notion that my power is divinely granted, anointed from above. So there was consensus of a belief that there's higher powers that grant um, uh, kind of some sort of destiny to certain yes. people to be yeah. that power. And then we said, hey, I'm gonna, we question this bloodlines thing with kings and queens. You know, we want, and but that still, the transfer of power, so from higher power to then consensus power of like on earth, the population, it's still that. It's this notion that we 
anoint through voting someone. Um, and even then that's a bit hazy now because um, uh, I think there's this point of like, um, they're not really, um, they don't really work for us, but you know, it's just, there. there's a lot of assumptions now and kind of lost um, responsibility because we just kind of relegate and delegate like, oh, someone else will sort it out. And I think that's where, where we're at, like someone else will sort it out rather than what can we do with these here. Well, and there's the thing that on we're recording this on International Women's Day. And one of the things we often say on days like this or like Black History Month is why are we still needing a day or a month? And it's because this takes generations longer than our expectations hope for, you can say simply. But is that true as well of the individual that we keep talking about individualism? Yet we're all really fed up with individualism because it puts this impossible weight on our shoulders to actualize our lives. And in the end, we do want a savior or an avatar of some kind. We want the superheroes to come and, and do the. They might be weary, but they'll still come and save us because they're gifted from on high with special gifts, which we aren't. But surely the invitation to our generation being networked while we're goofing around on Facebook is actually to actualize us and in, as as individuals to take that step up to become those actual more godlike. That's a who wants that job? Um, uh, I believe Carl Jung talks about it as collective individuation. So Ooh. it is a it's a bit of a spiral, maybe. Can I make a big hand hand handy work there now? Yeah. But it's not this binary, this or that. Yeah. All right, separate ones and zeros. But um, in a way that uh, life is symbiotic or you know, mutually, like, there, there's, there's mutualism and parasites, but there's the weaving again. Mm. We just have two lines. And this idea that I am me and then there's an other, so my father or my brother, my sister, whatever that is in society. And that it's not either or, it's, um, yeah, I don't know, it's sort of together. There's a togetherness of, of how we. Um, intertwine and is that part just to jump in is that part do you think of why the perfectionism the tyranny of perfectionism that's that shot through things like socialism but also the eco movement that sort of shoots down any unrighteousness far too instinctively i feel it happened in me no Aha. don't do it like that but is do you think that's part of the of why our message to our participate fails because we we still treat it like a binary. You step up. You be the hero. Ugh, that's weary. But if we were, if we were called to 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 take part in the weaving, is there a way that that would seem? Is that what we should be doing? Take part in the weaving of something. Uh, to appreciate the many threads that yeah. the, the bigger picture, I suppose. Exactly. Um, the different types of lines, timelines. Yeah. Um, lines of perspective, lines, so many. Um, uh, you know, and like there, there's talk of like, you know, trans identities. And I want to yes. focus on like, well, trans is cross. That's what the root word of that is the crossings, yes. um, the, the meshing. And um, what was I going to get back to? You're like, talking about like, uh, oh, yeah, the purest stuff. I think that's a hangover of Theos, right? Because yeah. we refuse to talk about the holy, right? Yeah. No, that's just for the religious nutters rather than it is our right, holiness. So this is my, this is our You're holding it up, holding up the brilliant sculpture of the holy. And I was like, 
it's a bit like a hand within a hand and like a, it's terrifying and brilliant all at once yeah it's kind of it does look a bit thanosy it looks very thanosy it's a green hand right but in a way i think that that's quite perfect because it, it is a holy benediction and it's yeah it's, it's, the, it's like a genuflecting isn't it while holding it it's just a fruit and it's just um, a fruit man and yeah, so this I, I think it's a hangover of of, of fierceness when we don't ex, um, explore enough where we come from. Yes, like oh, you know, whether history is just for history buffs, but our roots and in a way, indigenous wisdoms uh, and, and tribes have always had a ritual and a culture of telling the story of where we are, where we're going, who we might yet be, mm. destinies, and um, and. In a way, I don't know, we're, maybe we're, you know, we, we are still doing that or maybe not doing it enough. But I think what we're not doing enough of is talking about the sacredness or holiness of our being. Mm. It's seen as, oh, that's for the woo-woo spiritual, yeah. you know, we'll align it. But it's what makes us us. Uh, I think that there's this, um, another quote from um, a guy named Rob Bell. So he yes, will be I know in, Rob the Bell. Realm of, yeah, in the realm of Christian world that... There is a part of us in us that makes us uniquely us, but you can't find if you can uh, deconstruct and like you know um, dismantle your physicalness. You can't find it really. You yeah. might say, "Oh, Timo is his identity, you know, his like fingerprints or great," but the essence of you of yours, like, it, is you know something else. You call yeah. it spirit, soul. Uh, to know how other people might want to say it but it is there and i think a refusal to look at the holy um might cap us in just becoming just um down in the muck in that sense right I yeah in, indeed and but you know interesting that really connects us as a whole interesting that rob bell wrote a book called love wins and half the christian church Tore it, wanted to tear his throat yeah. out. I mean, come on, people, get a grip. It's that idea of breaking out of the old narrative, so though, and finding that love is underneath everything. Uh, you know, that this is something that psychotropics can help us realize, and everything's so just some chemical thing. But people walk out of those experiences saying, ah, oh, yeah, what the hell's the point in fighting? Everything is one. What's, yeah, what's the point in fighting? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, in these times of conflict, Rena, how, how do you how do you help your students make sense of this and not when a new bit of news lands and it feels closer to home for some of us so that we, we feel it? How do you help them? Uh, what are you trying to equip them with mentally to deal with such shocks culturally and find something intentional to do? that's more holy, that's more sacred, that's more reverential, that's more future-facing? Uh, I, I just hold the space. So I have a classroom. So I hold the space or create a space, a sandbox, where hopefully they can ask questions and within themselves um, feel safe enough to grasp around the subjects and ask questions, what about this? And then also come out of their shell or bring their own stories to the, take it out to the table and see that with other people's stories and, and see the, the patterns and like, oh, mm. oh, um, oh, that's very different to my story or that's very similar. 
and then you can see that and then um, then based on experienced stories with um, other stories of what theory culture creativity is yes. so oh my gosh maybe i'm in a sewing class <laughs> just <laughs> I think you're absolutely in a sewing class, sewing silver threads together, my friend. Uh, a bit of a rumple to, yes, I guess. Um, I always like to joke sometimes that I'm a bit of a rumple stiltskin and like, here's a straw, clutching at straws. And then like somehow you're kind of, oh, look, it's a golden thread, wicked. And then, and then you kind of figure out, oh, I need to kind of do something with this thread and sew it again with, with something else. But also you are doing that very solar punk thing of um, where solar punk gives us narratives there are alternative futures to work into, actually, you know, speculative fiction of a positive kind. There's that lovely quote, uh, it was Adam Flynn or someone else, who said, move quietly and plant things. You are an immense seed planter setting off your holy hand grenades. I think sometimes the, the, the being silent about it might mean that you're on the fringe, unnoticed, yeah. you don't necessarily have, you know, it's not a, a fame game. Yeah. Um, and... One just to, okay, so the game uh, metaphor to that is you just have to play the resources and the cards that you have. Yep. And, and that's why I'm a great advocate of board games and, and not just, uh, I know people will think immediately Monopoly, Risk, and there's the, the, the usual default games that Woolworths or WH Smith will sell, but more complex games like Settlers of Catan, where it's about victory conditions and building yeah. things or Carcassonne and a variety of other rich types of games. It's rehearsing and teaching you how to just have a good head, like a sense of humor, enjoy it, be playful, and relate well with other players as you're just making sense of the plays, the phases, and um, the changing nature of your resource, of what's in your hand again. It's like, oh, yeah. great, got this card, play it, play it. And then there are days when you don't have any cards to play and you might figure that out. Um, uh, maybe it's not card game, it's a dice game, right? So it's just really yeah. back to this. So we do have seeds within us. Yes. And, and there's, you know, there's the parable of the sower of like where the seed you know, in, in kind of biblical scripture. Um, there's lots of stories about um the parable of the talents of like whether you just bury your talents and just sit in it and wait for it um to you know uh, like the idea of hoarding rather than investing i've always uh, hated that parable it's it fits no, it's right, it's right um but really yeah so uh it's just um back to this one i just think making with our hands and and feeling and touching there's the kinesthetic of it um, it unlocks it unlocks something within us when we move ourselves into a new experience the thing with the solar and the, the solar punk thing for me is that um you know doesn't tesla say that everything is energy frequency and vibration yeah and um things kind of can't grow without the sun so we, we get that and um, what is the sun but this like generator of energy and um if we're trying to unlock you know if i think for so long we, we realize hey we've got this like brilliant um equation by einstein which is e equals mc squared and how that could be like that's the formula that creates an atomic bomb and you know maybe nuclear power plants etc um in the yogic circles it's also called as energy equals um matter 
finding out what matters still. But you change the C, and the C is conscious consciousness. Mm. So um, you take charge of your energy because you re, you know you, you have a recognition of your material. So this physicalness, the materials around me, this uh, phone, whatever, right? Mat matter. Um, what matters to you as well? So the moves that matter, um, the you know what what you find valuable. What is you know this matters to me a lot and the value. Yeah. And then following you add, that following that energy flow for yeah. yourself. And then you add your consciousness of like, uh, um, and hence why meditation and certain inner practices or, or um, spirituality, soulfulness, mindfulness, it's important. Because you have to be self-aware and, and part of enlightenment isn't just awareness. That's just like the entrance, like table stakes, maybe. It's in what you do with that awareness. Yes. So that's the formula. It's just like really, in summary, what do you do with the energy that you have with the time and space that you got? And um, and I know that, you know, wars on the horizon, it's always been on the horizon. It's always there. Conflicts have been going. And, and because of this, it brings it closer to the home. The we like. Oh, you know, like the, the battlefront is here because I yeah, can right see Right there it. on your phone. Um, mm. So, look, I, I'm, I'm conscious as we yeah. get to the end of our, our time together, we've mentioned the sort of big movements that we've all grown up in, the, the shadow of modernism, the robot future, we've, and, and the sort of shards of postmodernism, all the disillusionment that's planted so many seeds of frustration and unfulfilled promises and the stagnation of being on our own. Rena, is there something beyond postmodernism that we all feel like we're waiting for? What might that be? Um, wow, it is not mine. Um, uh, it's not my word, but it is um, a door that leads to other doors, which is great. Uh, there is this thing called metamodernism, um, or the right. meta modern, and if we break down what meta is, um, obviously now we'll, you know people are familiar with the Facebook transition, which is kind of strange, and how when we're going jokes that are so meta for those who watched Matrix Four or even a lot of the Marvel series, like people go meta by being self-referential, right? Like yeah. always some um, callbacks to oh, wink, wink from the past, and then nostalgia. There it is. Yeah. Oh, look. And here's a hint for what you know, clue for the future. Mm. There's this sense of um, hopping around uh, past, present, future, and kind of, I don't know, again, more spiral. Yeah. yeah, more more spiral uh, dynamics of kind of percolating and circulating. Um, meta means to the beyond or after. So post is that postmodernism could mean you know after modernism. And what Meta is trying to do is that to have Meta levels uh, of um, referencing, and um, also you know I quite like that Meta could be um, metamorphosis, so trans um, transforming or Change, even yeah. remembering the metaphysical. So to go beyond, yeah. And, and I think with the unseen the future for me to go beyond, um, you know, and we're both. Uh, trekkers here to boldly yes, go where no one has gone before. Um, like, how do we do that? What and no one has gone gone before, no one, right? Not one, but to go where many may have gone before to learn from the you know, um, 
to look at before, so indigenous um, wisdom, or to cherry pick, to like a bee, to really get the little bits of pollen. And then um, what's beautiful about bee, the bee metaphor is that, you know, I don't know if bees have a specific checklist as they're hunting. <laughs> I make sure that I collect. I imagine they are. They're worker bees. They've got little clipboards yeah, and hard hats. Three, three pollen parts of dandelion, five pollen parts of rose. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they just bumble along and like, blah, blah, blah. oh yeah, cool, this is good, right? And like the organicness of it, and yet universally around the world, their hex structures they produce different types of honey. Are you know? Um, but there's a consistency as well to uh, difference and sameness. There, there's a unity in that diversity. Um, and yeah, so it's allowing it, it. It's allowing yourself to trans, isn't it? To go, you know, lateral, but or to cross the boundaries to take your thread like you're weaving across the other normal, straightforward, linear things, to allow yourself to go with that flow and follow your truth to see what the, you know, where that goes. It won't be straight, a straight line, but you can. Is it giving us permission to, to be a generalist, to be a trans person in lots of different ways in our era of transition? It, it, it seems to make it more three-dimensional, four-dimensional even to me, the idea of metamodernism. You can have that and that. This and that follow your truth into it. Uh, what was it? There's always these jokes as well about being like, um, if something is broke, then something is woke, and then um, what's the next one? Then something is bespoke, and I forgot that's the other one. But it's mm. just we have to um, somehow um, find what is our natures, mm. yeah, the, the uniqueness. So say that what makes us us. Um, individually, but what makes us us collectively, and that is a a craft. So, um, in certain esoteric circles, we talk about life as you know the great work that yeah. is never finished, that is ongoing. And then the idea again of education, um, of from cradle to the grave, is that that you know it's not about you live and you die, but it's just you're always learning from first breath, inspirare to be inspired. To last breath, expirare, to expire, your last breath. Mm. And that mm. we are living creatures, organic beings, and death is always at the door. Um, uh, we might have um, ideas of when that is, and we'll, we'll feel the fear that there's war. There's a thousand many ways to, to die in this planet. Um, it's still better than living in Mars because you can reap it, you know. Uh, yeah, you can yeah. take your space helmet off for one thing. You can but, um, sort it to the shops you know, in your shorts. You know, there's various ways of, di to, of dying, various ways of living, and um, we can be imprisoned in our fears and our limitations, and that's why spirit is incredible because we do have our limitations, our physical body, and yet we're able to do transcendental things, yes. things through transcendental. Whatever, which, whichever, you know, you, you'll have limitations, whether you're um, uh, disabled or other abled or I have a small body. You know, like we have many limitations and yet somehow the spirit does elevate our physical limitations to create art, music, um, you know, yeah. craft uh, to, re to reach out and to reach forward. And, and talking of reaching forward, as we end, 
because this is a talk that could go on for two hours yeah. and I'd, I'd happily let it do so. But to end, Rina Atienza, what would be your ancestral artefact that you'd like to leave forward? The ancestral artifact. I always love when, you know, when there were restrictions. It's really difficult um, to stop myself from doing it. But also, you know, when I've been at mass or when I just meet people, I love doing this. Extending the hand. Lovely to meet you. And, um, you know, not like, ooh, ooh, like you, like buttons. There's also something about buttons, and like sorry, buttons, thumbs anyway, and pressing buttons with thumbs, whether you know, this actually means death or life, but the hand extension is a link. Yes. Um, and, you know, the, the handshake for me is something that comes from what I will like to think um, with my, uh, you know, a Cherokee tribe called the Whitehead um, from my kind of grandfather is that they were a tribe who wanted to find out who the other is, the enemy, because they, you, they, they might be physically called the enemy, but you need to have a conversation to find out, oh, hey, that story is like mine, to find out what is common ground, sacred common ground, what you, what is holy to you, what is holy to me. And there's another podcast on that called um, The Sacred Podcast by Elizabeth Oldfield. And I think that's what we need to remember. What is sacred to you? What is sacred to me? And let's talk about that. And that, you know, hence the holy hand grenades, the holiness, the sacred, um, the thing that is worth living for, like, and every day. Uh, yeah, so nice to meet you. Shake hands, high five, you know, but mostly, kind of, to reach out to ex the extension transfer, no intermediaries, but from my heart to your heart, you know, I see your heart, I raise you mine type thing. There's lots of things you can play with that. Rina Atienza, I can't wait to be in the pub with you again. Uh, it has been an absolute joy to have you on uh, Unsee the Future, the Hopi Chatty Bits. Bless you. Yeah, bless you too. Much love. Unsee the Future. And there we are. Uh, how many quotes do you want in an episode of Unsee the Future? The marvellous Rina Atienza there. These episodes are just a starting point for you to look in, uh, look forward in yourself. How many themes, looking for the thread of you that you're really trying to weave, that invitation to weave your thread in and out with others and explore. This is the invitation of metamodernism and it's the invitation extended through the mechanics of art. And that's, I think, why I felt drawn to maybe one day study more art history and pay more damned attention than I did in art school. A big thank you. You can find more about Rena and her work and the Holy Hand Grenades down in the comments after this on the full blog post. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Uh, and a reminder that, of course, a certain special artist's current single is out that you can find. And uh, you can join me at unseethefuture.com. How can we encourage the more hopeful human tomorrow? Another world is possible. Join me next time where I meet more artists, solar punks and change makers helping us change the stories we think we're in. Ciao for now. Discover more links and video and reading on the blog of this post at unseethefuture.com. And be the first to get the future in your inbox. Subscribe to the Momo Memos at unseethefuture.com forward slash amigos.
Listen, read, ponder and share. Do. Unsee the Future is a Momo Tempo production. Obviously.